Hey, good morning, and thank you for being here on Don't At Me. We got a monster for you today. Nick Lowry, uh, a Hall of Famer with the Chiefs, is going to join us. He has been down to the southern border. He's also going to let us know what he thinks of the upcoming Chiefs and Bengals game. And Derek Wolf killed a mountain lion in a neighborhood. He's an American hero. You've seen the pictures, this massive eight, eight and a half foot mountain lion living under people's house. And you guessed it, people on Twitter and others are acting like complete idiots, making him out to be a bad guy. But first, look, I'm going to tell you, Indiana basketball fans, I understand. I am outdated. There is no question in my mind that my belief that it's Indiana, North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas as all-time, and you could throw in UCLA in there as well, all-time programs. That's outdated. Indiana is no better than a Cincinnati. Indiana is no different than a Memphis. I get it. You're right. I'm wrong. When you look at winning and losing, Indiana hasn't done squat. In fact, at Indiana last year, our little fanboys put together a big banquet for a ninth-place finish team. Now, look, I understand I'm wrong, okay? I was wrong when Indiana decided to hire cheating, thieving, lying Calvin Sampson. I went to go work for Calvin Sampson. Why? Because I wanted to see what this was all about, the other side of college basketball. And what I found out was the scum is deeper than the surface appears. Meaning, oh man, like I got an argument with this idiot named Mike DeCourcy, who writes, I think, for like sporting news, if that's still a thing. Occasionally you see him on the Big Ten Network. And that clown actually tried to tell me who was there that what Calvin Sampson did wasn't really wrong. He didn't know about the payments to players. He didn't know about all the other crap. So I'm there. I take over. I put things in the right vein. Players don't like it. We lose. I'm out. People are in. Cream did a great job of bringing honor and dignity to the program. Yes, they lost to Syracuse. And then idiocy started. And then the backslide started. And Indiana went to a ridiculous guy named Archie Miller. And now they have Woodson, who's fine. It's fine. Last night, though, was the first time I could not root for my alma mater. And last night was the first time I realized that Scott Dolson, the president, and the entire university are back where they used to be. They threw a guy named Yazir Rosemont out there as the head coach to represent all of us. Now, I want you to understand about Yazir Rosemont. Bagman was involved in the freaking trials in the Southern District of New York. I don't care how he and others lawyered their way out of it. To hire him, I said at the time, was absolute buffoonery. Imagine Duke doing that. Imagine North Carolina doing that. Kansas, you might do that. But who are you trying to be? Are you trying to be Cincinnati or Memphis? Are you trying to skate by, hey, we can hire this bag man, but we got to get around the rules? Or are you trying to be honorable? Imagine Hubert Davis, Roy Williams, or, or Dean Smith doing that at North Carolina. Now, don't give me the crap about, well, you know, North Carolina had a school scandal. Indiana had the same thing. Hell, we put Jay Edwards in a two-week independent study class in between semesters to get him eligible. Don't try that crap with me. Try that crap with other people. That's their crap. Indiana was supposed to be better. Indiana, I got fired for a phone call. I got fired for a simple phone call when Ron Felling had made one, I had made one, we didn't communicate, you're only allowed to call players once a week. 
Now, let me go back to the whole North Carolina thing. Here's the deal with North Carolina before you say, well, you guys cheated then like Carolina. No. If the university accredits the course, you you do it. You do it. University accredited. That's why you haven't seen North Carolina. But imagine North Carolina or Duke throwing a guy out there, Yazir Rosemont, involved in cheating, involved in bag mannering, involved in all of the things that the Southern District of New York invested. I don't care if he got out. This guy couldn't get a job anywhere in the Big Ten until World Wide West. And some idiot named Kenny Payne, who is now, I don't even know if he's a coach at Louisville. He seems to be an orchestrator of a bad AAU team at Louisville until they convinced Mike Woodson to hire this clown. So this clown, Rosemont, puts a video out of him coaching, and it's nothing more than being a cheerleader. But I don't even care about that. Hell, maybe that's his role on the staff, be a cheerleader. I don't care about that. Imagine North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, putting a guy like that out there in front of everybody like Indiana did last night, like Scott Dolson and the staff did last night. I got former players that are hot. We don't matter. I get it. Look, I understand. And before you Indiana people run to Twitter, and this is how Indiana people don't understand any more integrity. Well, you know, Dockage, you went three and four as your interim coach. Yeah, and I got a bunch of idiots to stop smoking weed and go to class, and they didn't like it. See, that used to matter, doing things the right way at Indiana. They don't. And that's sad. Because Duke is putting out John Shire, and the assistants there are all Duke men. Ohio State is not putting out some cheat. (laughs) North Carolina, look at their bench. Sullivan, former uh, player. Lebo, former great player. Sean May, player of the year. North Carolina men. We got Yazir Rosemont, who slipped his way out of an indictment maybe. I don't know, allegedly. I don't know. I know that everybody involved in that trial or everybody involved the way he was I don't give a damn. They should They should be on the staff at Cincinnati. They should be on the staff at, uh, you know, name a school. But not Indiana, not North Carolina, not Duke. But I'm wrong. I get it. I get it. They shouldn't be on the staff. At, you think Michigan State's going to hire them? You think Michigan State's going to hire a bag man? You think that's what Tom Izzo's going to do? Are you out of your freaking mind? But here in Indiana, we don't care, man. And then he gives some idiotic quote where he embarrasses himself after, but he's a hero at Indiana. And I get it. Look, I get it, Indiana fans. You can rip me all you want because I know you don't understand. I know you weren't there for 17 years in the morning. I know you didn't sit down when uh, Allen Iverson's agent wanted stuff from Knight and Knight told him to kiss his blank. I know you weren't there when we turned down so many recruits because they wanted money and ended up at schools we were competing against. So I don't give a damn, you Indiana fans. Come at me all you want. Because I know you're jaded now. I know you don't understand now. I know I'm wrong now. I know older former players are wrong now that reach out to me. They go, how in the hell is this guy, this guy, representing us? But you know what? We're wrong. You're right, Indiana fan. You're right, little Hoosier hysterics, that, hey, we need money for our guys to come in ninth place. I'm dead wrong when I say, hey, look, Indiana, be like North Carolina. Be like, uh, excuse me, not Kansas. Be like Duke. That's who you're supposed to be. 
You're not supposed to be, oh, I don't know, Memphis. Memphis skated by on the James Wiseman thing and they celebrated. Yay! What's wrong with you? So I'm watching this guy's the first time. The first time I'm like, yeah, I hope they lose. I've never, and I'm going back to 1973. Now that's before most of your parents were even born. 1973, NCAA Final Four. Indiana, UCLA, I'm screaming at the TV when Charlie Foudy made a bad call, fouling out Steve Downing, keeping Bill Walton in the game. And the opportunity to play there and then coach there and go back there. I'm going to go to the game Saturday. There'll be some of you idiots that, oh, Doug, did you suck? And there'll be 99% will be like, Dan, you're absolutely right. Because most Indiana fans understand what I'm saying. But you drag this clown out there with all his baggage and you represent Indiana. Imagine Duke doing that. I just want for a second you to imagine Duke doing that. Just think, well, we're going to hire a bag man who escaped. What's that? We're going we're gonna to hire. We're going to hire a bag man to be on our staff because, well, Worldwide West and Kenny Payne talked Woodson into hiring this clown. And then Dolson and the university is going to put him out in front of the entire university. Well, they would, man. Good for them. They beat a Minnesota team that didn't have half its team on a tip-in by the best player in college basketball. I got to tell you, I know I'm wrong. That's it. I know I'm 1,000% wrong. 1,000. I couldn't be more wrong, but I ain't shutting up about it. Because you Indiana fans, if you believe what you saw last night was a good thing, then you're an idiot. And there's a lot of you idiots around. Well, Dunkage, you lost to Arkansas with Eric Gordon. You know who Arkansas had idiots? Patrick Beverly. You know who crapped himself at halftime? Eric Gordon. Why? Because he had to go against Patrick Beverly. (laughs) The level of stupid. Indiana fans, what you need to do is just shut up and listen to me. And Woodson and Dolson and all you clowns, you're going to put that guy in front of us. I'll give you another one. But, But that's the world we live in. We live in a world of clown shows. We do. We live in a world of complete blank shows. Now, there's this lady named Omar. If you've ever been to her place, which is Minnesota, she wants the police to fund it. She wants all this crap. She's an idiot. So McCarthy kicks her off the Senate Intel Commission or uh, committee. Listen to this fool whining, bitching, moaning. In modern American history, the punishment of stripping a member of Congress of their committee assignments has been reserved for only the most egregious wrongdoings. Those convicted or indicted on corruption, those who have engaged in bribery, sexual misconduct, encouraged violence, or other grave charges. I have served on the the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Education and Labor Committee for the past two terms committees that I have lived experience and expertise in. As a child who survived war, lived in a refugee camp, 
I would have never imagined that I would one day have the opportunity to serve on a subcommittee on Africa, global health, and global human rights. I would not have believed that I would one day not just serve as the first African-born member of Congress, but on a committee that oversees policies towards the continent. Kevin McCarthy's purely partisan move to strip us from our committee is not only a political stunt, but also a blow to the integrity of our democratic institution and threat to our national security. We are thankful to leader Jefferies and House Democrats and even some courageous Republicans for standing with us. If McCarthy wants to denigrate the integrity of the House and its committees, we will always stand up to these efforts. I am grateful for the confidence of my constituents and my colleagues have shown me to serve on these committees and I look forward to continuing that work of building a more peaceful world. Yeah, get the hell out of here. Yeah, just get the hell out. Uh, you and the crew or the posse or whatever the hell you call yourself, just get the hell out. You know what? You marry your brother or allegedly marry your brother. Let me tell you one thing they're never going to allege with me, that I married my sister. <laughs> Let me just tell you that. It's not, you're never going to read an article. Well, maybe the Indy Star, Doyle will put one out. But you're never going to read, hey, look, he married his sister. Yeah, even the allegation of it means you're a dirtbag. Get these people out and look at my man Adam Schiff. Now, that guy gets kicked off the same committee because, well, he leaks stuff left and right. And what does he do? He runs to a Chinese app, TikTok, which, by the way, there's going to be a bill out to get rid of TikTok uh, nationwide. But, hey, that's where he runs. And the other guy, Sawwell, or whatever the hell his name is, who slept with a Russian spy. If you sleep with a Russian spy, you're too stupid to be on an intel committee. Look, that's all I'd say. I go, I got to tell you. I used to tell my son and my daughter, look, uh, you know, Joey Bag of Donuts breaks up with you. Uh, just look around the corner. There's six other guys better than Joey Bag of Donuts. Susie Rottencrotch breaks up with you, Andrew. Don't worry about it. There's 20 other girls that are just as good or better than Susie Rottencrotch. I mean, don't even worry about it. Don't even think about it. Move along. But this idiot had to pick a Russian spy. So now all three of these clowns are sitting there complaining, whining, moaning. We're not on a committee. Well, you shouldn't be. You absolutely shouldn't be. I'll tell you who should be on every committee, Nick Lowry. Nick Lowry is a stud, three Pro Bowls. Nick Lowry, uh, kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs, um, is in the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame. Nick Lowry, ladies and gentlemen, is 16th all-time in NFL Scoring, But the most impressive thing, ladies and gentlemen, on Nick Lowry is in 1993, Nick Lowry was the NFL's Man of the Year. Now, I don't know if any of you have noticed this before, and I'll get back to Indiana basketball coming up here in a minute. But I don't know if any of you all have noticed this, but there's a lot of men in the NFL. There he is. And in 1993, to be the NFL's Man of the Year, Pretty damn good. And you know what? The Dartmouth grad continues to do great stuff. Nick, I got looking. You got the Kansas City Chiefs going. The biggest question, we're going to get into a lot of stuff, but what are you hearing on Mahomes? The world wants to know about the ankle, the ankle hurt around the world. Well, I, I've heard some stuff, and I'll tell you, 
anybody that's had a high ankle sprain, which I have, I actually have a replaced left ankle, knows it's impossible to make it not make a difference. But, hey, if the guy was practicing and walking around a lot yesterday, full practice, the least they would have done if it was an issue was not practice him on the field on Wednesday. So, number one, he's going to be mostly okay. Number two, that Bengals pass rush, um, if I'm them, they're like piranha. They are going to make sure that the same pattern that allowed them to be successful, that allowed Buffalo to beat us uh, earlier in the year, just like any great quarterback, when you've got somebody who's in your face, who's tripping you at, uh, you know, in your feet, Tom Brady, of course, in UC Humanura, Michael Strahan, when they were undefeated for 18 games, somehow Tom Brady was human again. Joe Montana, uh, you know, just when you have a pass rush on them, as Lawrence Taylor did and Leonard Marshall back in 1990, you know, that makes a huge difference. So um, it's going to make a difference. But if there's one thing we've learned about Patrick Mahomes, Watch out. He's going to come up with stuff that no other human being has done. Um, I got to ask, you saw the mayor guy for the Cowboys. I, my son, well, look, I played basketball at Indiana for Bob Knight. I coached for him. I was a head coach in college. My son played ba- basketball at Ohio State in Michigan, and I was never so nervous in my life as when my son for Ohio State or Michigan was at the free throw line. Like, I don't care, like, my coaching career playing, it didn't, when my son was at the free throw line, I crapped my pants, let's be honest, damn near, okay? I can't like, imagine. Like Will Chamberlain, are you talking the, that bad? Yes. Uh, I couldn't imagine being a kicker or a kicker's father. Are kickers right. nervous, or is it like, look, shooting free throws? We know what we're doing. What are we? Where are we? Well, number one, I mean, can we stop making generalizations about human beings because it just doesn't work? I will say the the position does form, I guess, the personalities to some degree. But it's like what I say when uh, the weenie head coaches got to call the timeout for the game winning field goal because they want them to get nervous. For the good kickers, it helps them. I would run to the sidelines, kick into the net, take control of that time, come back out 10 seconds earlier than I normally would, and I'd be fine. For the bad kickers, they stand out there, oh, oh no, and they're thinking too much. So um, with regard to the extra points, it's not 20 yards, it's 33. I was 562 of 568. I had 10 seasons when I never missed an extra point. I had... Um, never miss more than one in a season. But it was easier then. But what happens is, I think the truth about Bill, uh, not Bill Moore, Brett Moore, <laughs> is that right before the game, the referee said you can't put a, a blade of grass right where you're going to put the spot. So you, you, the holder's like going here. It's going to be here. And then he goes like that. And then he sees that tiny little flack. He knows that's the exact spot. You miss that spot by two, three, in- three inches. Good luck. Because you're only seeing the ball not spinning for two-tenths to one-tenth of a second. Anybody out there, try kicking a field goal anyway, by the way. Just try it because you don't know what you're talking about most of the time. But then try to do it with 11 very large, very fast people paid an average of 4 to $10 million a year to block your kick to eat you live, whole, 
you know, and with the pressure and with that just one tenth, two tenths of a second to watch. I want to see how you do as well. I know how I do. I'd crap my pants again. I've always said, look, I I don't I don't I I'd hey, I'd shoot a free throw in front of millions. I and because it's just me, the ball right there. For yeah. you as a kicker, the ball has to be hiked, set as you said, spun. You got grass, yep. you can slip. There's all and and it doesn't matter what happens. It's not it may be the holder's fault for one article. But for the rest of your life, Nick Lowry missed the kick, no matter what the hold was. That's it. Yeah, so you have to manage one thing that Pete Carroll did and has done and did with me with that one precious year in New York. You know, he puts you in pressure situations. Hey, Nick, you got to hit a 45-yard field goal into the wind at the end of practice. If you do, we get done 10, 15 minutes early. <laughs> that, that's that's some pressure in practice and so you make your practice like the game so the game can be like practice but some people can handle it some people have that slowing down of their brain others can can manage their state through practice as well and others cannot so uh isn't it great though i feel like what's great about having been a kicker for 18 years in the nfl is it's a closed loop responsibility. Nobody cares what your excuses are. Everybody sees whether it goes through or not. Uh, I was in a quick trip store in 1988, 22 for 23 late in the season, NFL record at that point for percentages. Missed one kick. I come into the quick trip store, I got gas and I, I got some uh, eggs and whatever. The lady at the counter goes, I know you, you're Nick Lowry, how are you? Yeah. I saw you miss that field goal. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so part of leadership and part of excellence is knowing you'll always have criticism at the higher level because you're playing at a higher level, unfair criticism, and just deal with it because it means you're doing a lot of things right. That's exactly right. It, it is amazing. Like, you know, as a coach to, to that lady, I'll, I'll defend that lady for a second. As a coach... Uh, I was part of a national championship, Big Ten, all that stuff. I still think of four losses. I think of four losses right. almost every night. Two is a, two, it's what you do, right? Do you do the same thing? Do you think of the misses as opposed to the makes? It's human nature. I mean, uh, you know, I did miss some, and, and you are human. So there's the other part. By the way, everybody out there, even though well, you, you got, you're such a good-looking guy, that beautiful bald head, he's not perfect. I'm not perfect perfect no one is perfect joe burrow is not perfect patrick mahomes throws dumb interceptions once in a while he's still the most exciting dynamic original quarterback in nfl history and by the way what does this remind you of i'm gonna throw this i'm gonna throw this <laughs> Sorry, i had i had to do that bobby knight just a little intense just a little I was sitting, I was sitting right next to him, getting ready to go into the game. I was a senior, yeah. and I was getting ready to go in. And uh, he went. He used to wear a jacket, and he went like that real quick to take off his jacket. But it was a first game; he didn't wear a sport coat. We, Nick, we saw him throw fifty-two straight chairs one day uh, in practice. We counted. He was sweating. He's firing them, and we're sitting there, Nick, just laughing our brains out. But hey. I love the man. So what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And by the hey, way, Nick. when your coach, when you know your coach gives a darn, when he cares, Marty Schottenheimer liked to hide it, but he, you knew he cared. 
Dick Vermeil, tough guy, but also deeply caring. You play at a different level. I always say Joe, Mon- uh, Joe Namath, who I love to talk about because I know now why the Jets with less talent beat the Baltimore Colts. They loved Joe Namath. He loved them. His teammates knew he would do anything for them. He cared at that deep level. And so they just, in football, even as a kicker, but certainly when you're a lineman, you're getting pounded. It's painful to sacrifice your body, man. you got to get yourself to that other level, especially the Super Bowl. So, Joe Namath, if you're if you're anywhere, I love you, man, because you are the kindest human being. Anybody, you, this is the, one of the nicest, most genuine people I have ever met in my life. He is a role model as a human being, and it started by being that great leader. Even if he wore <laughs> fur coats, et cetera, and had a little bit of fun back then, he was truly somebody that cared about his teammates, and that's why the New York Jets had the biggest upset in NFL history. Well, wait a second. I got Where did this love affair with Joe Namath start? Did did you meet him? What what, what walk me through this a little bit? Well, um, he uh, I was able to convince him to come out from his cocoon out there in Jupiter, Florida, because he hadn't flown in two years. Uh, his daughter had had a baby, and he was coming out to celebrate one of his former teammates, who um, was in. We were doing an NFL alumni event in Tucson, so. Uh, he flew into Phoenix. He did a couple interviews at the airport, and then it was he and, and I alone driving to Tucson. And, um, you know, he's just that kind of guy. He's signing autographs for three hours. I'm the MC of this event at a casino in Tucson. And uh, after four hours, and, I, I, and about two weeks later, I had surgery on my ankle because my ankle started to swell. <laughs> I said, Joe, can we eat? Can we sit down, please? He goes, Nick, if somebody needs an autograph, I just can't, I can't sit down until everybody's had an autograph. And then I drove home with him, you know, the next day, by the way, he didn't charge a penny. We put him in the penthouse because that's where Joe Namath needs to be. But uh, just such a thoughtful guy. Um, And then I've just, that began a great friendship. I played with the Jets for three years. So uh, I'll also forget, but uh, not forget at the end of the 89 season, we're playing the Miami Dolphins in Miami. It was freezing. It was freezing uh, at game time. And 32 degrees in Miami feels like 10 degrees. I don't know why. And I had not had, I'd had a bad year. I mean, one of my, probably my worst year ever. Um, And I kicked a game-winning field goal from the right hash, thank God, to put us at 8-7-1 and for the season. And my friends had taped the game and I watched it. And he, you know, here he could have talked about how I'd had a horrible game against Cleveland. And other than that, it was okay, but not great that year. And he was just so positive. I went on to lead the NFL in scoring the next year. I had 24 in a row, then 21 in a row, then 22 for 24. So that loss, uh, that season of not doing so well helped me uh, push myself to a different level. But Joe Namath is just a class act, man. Yeah, that's a great story. Hey, I want to get into, you went down to the border. Yeah. Talk to me about what you saw. Well, number one is... um, Everybody that's watching, um, I come from a family of yellow dog Democrats. My dad was, listen to this, my dad was, I only found out when he died. I knew he was senior CIA. He was chief of station for the CIA in uh, in London back in the 60s. He was literally the James Bond M for the Americans. My dad was a true patriot. Um, I worked for Republicans. I worked in the White House for both Reagan and H.W. Bush and Clinton. I don't care about the party. So I want to just say that really clearly. This is about transparency. I went there with Brian Erlacher 
And if you've met Brian, you know, he's one of the, another class act, great guy, no ego, just, you know, you got to have confidence, but he had great uh, presence. And we went there and met with Chris Clem and the team of, of the border patrol people. We were taken through a full day there. And uh, this is a humanitarian crisis on both sides. 853 people have died trying to come across. 13 border patrol agents have committed suicide three in the last month. Um, they were dealing with maybe 25 apprehensions. That's who they caught two years ago. Now a thousand people per day. They cannot, it, it's just not humanly possible to make sure that they have figured out who are the people that are drug traffickers, bringing in fentanyl, which is now killed. We think not just 100,000, frankly, a lot more, plus 200,000 opioids. That's 300,000 deaths, people. And yet this story is not being told. So I want people to realize this is a humanitarian crisis for the Border Patrol people who are not getting assistance and for the people that have legitimate reasons to want to come to this country. They're fleeing oppression. They're fleeing, you know, uh, the kind of daily danger. Uh, and then they're made to pay for it by the cartels by, you know, giving 5000 to 20000 And if they can't pay, guess what? They have to transport drugs or allow one of the members of their family to be kidnapped, killed, raped, tortured, or become human trafficked. So, you know, it's just not right. Uh, it's about it's about transparency. It's about honesty. And uh, when you meet the Border Patrol people, you know, like everything, they're probably 5% of the people in the world that you meet that are just jerks, okay? Whether it's on the football field or anywhere else. Uh, policemen, same thing. But 95% pretty much want to do the right thing absolutely all the time. And they're putting themselves in danger all the time. So, uh, it's just not right because then when the little town in Kansas gets 40 people from, let's say, Brazil that don't speak English and that have you know some serious health issues, very serious health issues, that little hospital in that town has suddenly several million dollars of costs they can't manage or, you know, we talk about crime, et cetera. And then there are the real people who are family oriented, kind people who are just trying to get away from what they're dealing with. So don't put it in one little envelope, one little wastebasket get one little codicil. The, it's a human issue. Everybody has a different story, but I'm just there for these border patrol people, these first responders, right, that are dealing with daily pressure, daily, daily uh, pain, uh, dealing with witnessing horrendous things happening to some of these people trying to cross the border. You know, Nick, when, when um, Biden went down there, um, what did you think what I thought was how interesting that they sanitized that area. You know, I work with the homeless. Uh, Lee Steinberg, another one of my favorite people on the planet, the first agent to say athletes have uh, an opportunity to, to use this stage to do good things with it. Um, when I saw that, and I, I, my Champions for the Homeless program, I see what's happening in, in the expansion of homelessness all around the country. You have these homeless people temporarily, right, immigrants, and they sanitized the sidewalks and made it look like, oh, there, there's no problem here. It's just the dishonesty. Um, and what happens is if 60 Minutes or 2020 or Frontline or some of the, you know, the remaining, you know, quality journalism's uh, journalistic uh, enterprises asked to go into the buildings where they're being processed, they're not allowed in. The administration says, we don't want you in there because they don't want people to see that they're being well treated, that they have apples and 
bananas, unlimited water, crushed fruit. Uh, they have air conditioning. They have locations for the kids that have no one. They have babysitters, if you will, or you know, people that are trained for that. They have families. Of course, there's only so many people they can fit in these facilities, so it's just overrun at times. But um, they don't want to show that they're being treated really well, and they want to create this unfortunate narrative that's just not truthful. Just show what's happening. Let everybody watching make up their own mind. Don't shove one story down your throat. So I, I believe in Raul Ortiz, who's the national director of the Border Patrol, my buddy Chris Clem, who just retired. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out and starts talking about it now that he can, um, because it's about honesty. And uh, in America, we want the people that want to come and contribute to this country. It's a great country. We can be greater by having more people that care about us and care about this country come in. But for the people that have other motives, we need to figure out a way to make sure they don't get in. Erlacher was on my show last thing, and I, I said, okay, you know, what's the deal? He, he, he said the policies shift, uh, and you can make this political, maybe it, it is political, from Trump to Biden uh, has exasperated this situation. Um, what did you see relative to policy and relative to a policy shift? What There's no say? policy. There's no policy. The only policy is don't do anything. Open the floodgates. Don't help the people that are overwhelmed, that are committing suicide, that have huge PTSD issues. Don't do something to make sure that it's at least um, a safer uh, experience for those people that are legally, that are trying to do the right thing, even as they're, danger they're desperate as well. By the way, uh, in Yuma, we were showed by Chris Clem. We were on the water. We're showing where it's dangerous crossing. And there's a place where there's a highway about 700 yards at most, less than half a mile from the border. And over here is Mexico. Over here is Canada. And across the water is Arizona. And so I had this image of people walking for days in the desert, right? Well, in reality, they get a license from the Mexican government, and 90% of these people come from 115 other countries than Mexico. So there's another one, because some of them really are, a good percentage are legitimate in terms of their motives. They're let off, and they're dressed quite well, and they're let off at this highway less than half a mile away, and then they walk, and some of them, a couple of them, few of them have even, the ladies have uh, high heels, you know, and when you see them, um, they did not have to suffer through the desert. So they paid a lot of money to get in there. Unfortunately, uh, more than enough get trapped in this uh, cartel economy that is burgeoning. Some say $11 billion per day. Uh, but most importantly, it's bringing drugs and fentanyl. Uh, do you know someone who's died from fentanyl? I know three personally whose child died from fentanyl in the last two years. My friend Debbie Gaby, her son, uh, died. I'll just get emotional about it, but it's just, man, what does it take for you to care about human beings and the toll that it's, it's you know, taking on, you know, people that we actually know in person? And then the other side, well, you mentioned it, and this is what, you know, I, I have read from the, the intel that I've gotten, $39 million per week per sector to the cartel. So not only are we allowing all of what you and I are talking about in, but we're strengthening the group that is pushing these folks in. We're strengthening the drug trade. We're strengthening the murder trade in these countries by providing them with an incredible amount of money. Thank you. And and so you saw it when they captured Ch El Chapo's 
the the army in Mexico paid probably a third what the others are on the cartel side who are the military version for uh, the cartels and they capture El Chapo's son and then they're shooting up they're shooting at planes trying to get them to crash to you know just to threaten uh, the Mexican government, the few that are, you know, not unfortunately corrupted by the system. It's just overwhelming money in a in a land where there is a lot of poverty to begin with. Um, so I actually worked in the drug abuse policy office for Reagan way back uh, in 88. And uh, back then um, it was bad enough. But now we've created an economy for the cartels. And that can only mean worse things for politicians and the threats to their own families if they provide policies that actually make it better for the rest of us. Nick, that's great stuff, man. Really appreciate it. Go Chiefs. Thank you, sir. And I like the chair. I like the research that you did. A little research. Nice. <laughs> you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes, he's amazing. It's going to be a tough game. Joe Burrow is uh, kind of like an android. He is fearless. It's going to be tough. Jamar Chase is like a more muscular Tariq Hill, maybe not quite as fast, but he's amazing. So we've got our work cut out for us, but we've got Chris Jones. We've got Travis Kelsey. We've got a more diverse offense, and we've got uh, a track record that's pretty good. But now we've got to change that one thing, which is beat Cincinnati, which we haven't been able to do for a couple of years. <laughs> Three and oh. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming Thank on. you, sir. Thanks for having me on. All right. That was great stuff right there with Nick Lowry, man. That See, one of the great things about this show, as opposed to being at ESPN, you get to talk to really smart people who give you their opinion, and that's not necessarily a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal. It's just a great opinion. Hey, um, I am a DoorDash guy. I'm a little disgusted by what happened with Uber Eats yesterday. You will not believe the video that we're going to show you when we come back. I got some headlines, too. And I think I'm going to give you my five most dangerous, most dangerous players this week, and either today or tomorrow. Stay right here. Tell your friends. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You know, yesterday a guy walked down to the court in a Loyola game, and apparently we can't show it because it's highlight slash a fraud. Some YouTuber wearing a mic acted like an Uber Eats guy, I guess, coming on to the court. And I got to tell you, we would never do that at DoorDash. We would never do that. In fact, yesterday I DoorDashed. A friend of mine called me, goes, what are you doing? I go, you're not going to believe this. I'm DoorDashing. He goes, why are you DoorDashing? I go, look, I'm trying to lose weight. It gets dark here at like six. My wife has dinner ready at seven. I was doing stuff, actually took a nap, and then was doing stuff all day yesterday. And I didn't want to sit around the house and eat. That's why I'm fat because I sit around the house and eat from about four until it's time to eat, whether that's at six or seven. So my stepson, Jared, was going DoorDash, and I'm like, hell, I'm going to go. So I made a cool $25 in an hour, came back, had dinner, uh, watched, the, watched the mayor of Kingstown. I highly recommend it, but we would never disrupt the game. Us DoorDashers, we take our job serious in the food delivery industry. That's right. By the way, what did I dash? You're not going to believe this. Six o'clock at night, uh, it had me go to the Krispy Kreme. I picked up a dozen donuts at six o'clock at night. And if you know anything about 116th Street in India or Fishers, busy road, the house was right on the road. It was like one of these townhouses. I just stopped in the middle of the right lane, ran up there, and door dashed. My goal, I got to make $25 a week. 
because that $25 a week, I at least, and I'm way over it every week, but it's all going to my uh, bikes program. All right. I don't know why the GM of the Bills would say anything. And I'm going to get to Indiana basketball. I'm going to get back there at the end of this segment. I don't know why the GM of the Bills would say anything about the Bengals. But here's what this guy had to say. Anything that Cincinnati does, I'm thinking about those receivers, that type of, do you see anything from them that suggests that's a trend that we need to kind of adapt to moving forward in order to close that? No, they have a good team. I mean, um, they right now are on the advantage of a rookie quarterback contract. And, you know, they had some lean years and without getting too much into their build. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to suck bad enough to have to get Jamar Chase. Like he's a heck of a talent. I'd love to have him, but you gotta, you gotta go through some lean years to do, to do that. And, you know, they, you know, they were able to get Burrow one and I don't remember where Chase was drafted, but it was pretty high. Like, and those guys are on their rookie deals. We're paying Stefan Diggs a pretty hefty number. We're paying Josh Allen a pretty hefty number. So there is the constraints of the cap, um, but they have a they have a really good team and they got some good young players. Yeah, if he didn't say the word suck, it probably would not have been that big a deal, right? You know what? If we just you know, I, I don't want to lose that much. You know, they, they, they had to lose to get draft trip. But when you say suck, all of a sudden it opens it up for guys like me, right? It just does. And, you know, the Burrow thing is interesting because if you remember, Burrow tore his ACL in his rookie year. They went 4-11-1. And that was enough for the fifth pick in the draft. That was enough suckage for the fifth pick in the draft, which, oh, by the way, became what? Well, it became Jamar Chase. So, look, Brendan Bean, the general manager, is not wrong. Certainly he's not wrong. But you know what is interesting? I always look at things a little bit biblical. Not everything, but some things, most things. And I'm sitting there going, you know what? God works in mysterious ways, right? So you get the number one pick, and you're the Bengals. And who do you get, Joe? Burrow, Burrow, tears his ACL. Oh, my God, this is horrible. I can't believe we're going to have to deal with this. Well, you know what it leads to? Jamar Chase which now leads to 3-0 against uh, the Chiefs with an opportunity to go back-to-back Super Bowls. So if he didn't say the word suck, I mean, let's just be honest. If he did not do that, then you know what? All right. Now, they did kind of suck, though. They had the sixth pick the Bills did. And they took Josh Allen, our seventh pick, I'm sorry. Well, the sixth pick of that draft was by a generational guard that our GM here in Indianapolis took in Quentin Nelson and is currently paying him more money than God to suck. Speaking of suck. Anyway, so the next year they had the ninth pick. I mean, he had a ninth. And they picked this guy, Ed Oliver, out of Houston now. When they picked Ed Oliver, and he's been an okay player, he's been serviceable, he's been good, but he's not a game wrecker. Here's the deal with Ed Oliver. I said this at the time. Jamar Chase, whatever he was or wasn't, in terms of his personality, I never saw anything other than him just being a dude, just being a wide receiver, being a guy. Ed Oliver, the ninth pick, I saw him act like an idiot on the sideline during a bowl game for Houston. So how does he get rewarded? 
Ed Oliver gets rewarded by being the ninth pick. So they did have, they did have the sixth, seventh pick where they picked a quarterback, and then the ninth pick where they could have gotten somebody the next year after going six and ten. And they chose Ed Oliver. This is what I keep saying. And I'll say this to you, Indiana fans, Indianapolis fans, and really it's the same thing in Tennessee. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your freaking time on a, quote, quitty pay, Ed Oliver. Don't. Don't waste your time on that. If they are a BOSA, then fine. But you are better to get a wide receiver in the top 10 that can make a difference. Man, I, uh, I... Whew, I don't know, man. I, 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 so many teams. Well, we got this guy, Ed Oliver. I saw him act like a jerk. I saw him act like a jackass during a game, and you're, you're rewarding him with the sixth pick. Are you crazy? Are you insane? Or the ninth pick? Are you insane? Stop it, stupid. Just stop it. I don't want to see it. Anyway, that's that. All right, new video, new video. This is going to be all year, so get ready for it, people. New video emerges. Tom Brady in Miami looking for something for his kids, which immediately means Tom Brady in Miami. What's he doing? Living there. Tom Brady's walking around a daycare, looking at it for kids, looking at, well, my kids are going to live here. You know, Giselle lives over there. She's hanging with the Taekwondo guy. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're not. He, you know, he's stooping her. Maybe he's not. I don't really have the answer to all of that. I, uh, I don't know. But the truth of the matter is um, Tom Brady in Miami is not going away. No. It's not going away. It's not. It, it is going nowhere. It is going nowhere. He will be talked about and talked about and talked about going there until something officially happens. And why not? I mean, why not? You know what I mean? That's what's happening here with Tom Brady. And it ain't changing. You know, I, I'm just telling you. It's not changing. Anyway, all right, let's move to the next one. Uh, Bronny James, son of LeBron. Bronny James, son of LeBron, is worth, listen to this. Now, this is a four-star, three-star, four-star recruit, and I ain't mad at him. I ain't mad at him even a little bit, but he's a three- or four-star recruit. He is valued at $7.5 million in NIL money. That's double the amount of another famous son, Arch Manning, who is at 3.7. Now, the word on the street, Oregon, Ohio State, USC, as is college choices, of course, the G League and overseas are options as well. But this is going to be interesting. This is going to be very, very, very interesting because Bronny James' dad, LeBron James, came out and said, look, I can call any coach in the country and they'll take Bronny. That may be true. That may not be true. I don't know that if I were coaching, I would want LeBron James's son. I don't know if I want the headache. 
You know, LeBron James has lied. He lied about racial stuff at his house, or at least allegedly did. LeBron James seems to be a hovering daddy. LeBron James seems to be the kind of guy, and there are a lot of these out there, uh, he seems to be the kind of guy that wants to micromanage his son's career. I don't want it. I don't want it. If LeBron James is going to send his son to me, then he's got to shut the hell up and go away in terms of the basketball. I want him to be a dad. I want him, if he can get him more money, fine, if he can enhance our program, but I don't want to see plays. There's a very famous coach, very famous guy, actually, I don't know about coach, who used to send plays to Mike Krzyzewski for his, his son. Not a coach, a guy. And he acted as a coach. You think players all of a sudden and mommies and daddies stop being nuts when people get to college, you're out of your mind. It doesn't stop, people. It doesn't stop. All right. We heard from Buffalo's general manager, Brendan Bean. We heard from him about, hey, look, we're paying Diggs. We're paying Allen. Well, guess who's next? Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Now, I don't think those two are nearly on the same level. Justin Herbert is a figment of hair. (laughs) Hair, imagination, commercials, not performance. He's good. He's handsome, he's good, he speaks well, his teammates seem to like him, blah, 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 blah. But he ain't Joe Burrow. There's a certain quality about guys. Now, don't even try this at home. There's a certain quality. Like, when I walk into a room, it is on. You'll see later, me and my wife uh, on a dance floor, or she's trying to get me to cross the threshold to go onto a dance floor at a wedding. See, when I walk in a room, it lights up. I mean, you know. Joe Burrow walks in a room, it lights up. Justin Herbert walks in a room, yeah, it's all right. That's yeah, okay. Eh, Justin Herbert's over there. Eh, okay, what's he doing? Eh, he's, uh, he's sipping, you know, uh, some kind of fruity drink. Yeah, okay. Burrow's got bourbon. Dockage and Burrow, we walk in, man. People are just like, whoa. The senator is here. That's what you're paying for. So these two guys are expected to sign contracts, both at least 50, I want to say that again, 50 million a year. You know, there was a time, and this is going back about 1993, Glenn Robinson, whatever year it was, two or three, whatever. Maybe it's 94. I think it was 94. It was a first round pick in the NBA draft. Herb Cole of Coles, he was also a senator, owned the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Milwaukee Bucks at the time were no good. They had the first pick in the draft. So Glenn Robinson and his agent, Dr. Charles Tucker, wanted a $100 million contract. Herb Cole, the owner of the Bucks, said, hey, I'll tell you what. You give me $100 million, I'll give you the franchise. Now you're going to pay $100 million for two years of Tom uh, Joe Burrow. For two years, maybe more, uh, not in terms of years, in terms of money. Two years of Justin Herbert. Wow. Whoa. Good for them, but I caution. $230 million men. Watson, Wilson, Murray, Rodgers. None of them in the playoffs. None of them. What's Brock Purdy making? A buck fifty? In fact, I think when I stopped. 
I think when I stopped at the Krispy Kreme, I think I saw Brock Purdy there. I'm like, yo, Brock, I thought you had a game, Sonny. Yeah, I'm picking up some extra cash. I get it. All right, listen to this. The Pac-12, they've taken loss after loss after loss, right? The Pac-12 shines, it does, in the NCAA men's basketball tournament because they have athletes, they have guys that'll go, they have coaches that let them play, while the Big Ten's benching guys for missing jump shots, Purdue, a couple years ago. Guess what? The Pac-12 is saying, go, man. Just go. Go. Go get it done. Go. Well, guess what? They took a massive hit off the field. Their TV partner was overpaying every year, and the conference now owes $50 million in back payments. I don't know. My initial thought, being from Gary, Indiana, is, hey, man, that's on you all. Yeah, that's, that's on you. I, I don't care. That's on you guys. You guys are too stupid. Nah. Dear fault. Did you see this? Did you see that LSU overpaid Brian Kelly by a million? How about that action? Overpaid him by a million. Wow. If I'm Brian Kelly, I'm like, hey, I'm worth it. Overpaying, like, here's what they did with Kelly. Kelly has two things. He had, and I have this, most people have this, that are really important like me and others. You know, I've got my Dockage Enterprises, and I've got me. So LSU was paying Brian Kelly LLT or whatever, LLD or whatever, limited, and they were paying Brian Kelly a salary, and they were doing it both. Now, Kelly apparently either didn't recognize this or he recognized it and said, hey, screw it, man. I'm doing what I do. <laughs> I ain't mad at it. All right, you guys on the YouTube chat. Greg Matt, Craig Matthews, Dave Reinhardt, Denroy 3, Ethnocentric, Iron Man, Lucas Outkick, Sean Black, Senator BS, Uncouth, Ben Pasterman, and over 350 more of you watching. When we come back, I got a real American hero. His name is Derek Wolf. I couldn't do what Derek Wolf did. Derek Wolf, an eight and a half foot mountain lion, was terrorizing his neighborhood. Over 200 calls into the DNR, whatever the hell it is. It was living under this lady's porch. It was eating dogs. It was eating cats. It was eating everything. So what Derek Wolf, former NFL player, now radio host, do? He killed it. Legally. Absolutely everything done by the book. And you know what happened? You know what happened, Van Pastor Man. You know what happened. People complained. Derek Wolf, bad guy, they said. Idiots, all of them. I got to tell you, there was a hawk flying around our neighborhood. We called the DNR. It hit me. I got pictures of cuts. I had to go to the daggone emergency room. It knocked a little kid down. It knocked my daughter down. It knocked my neighbor, Tom. And guess what? I don't know what happened. I had nothing to do with nothing. But somehow, some way, that hog ain't around no more. Word on the street is it ran into, boom, a window. It ran into our window four or five times. But the word on the street is my neighbors, it ran into the window and staggered. And we've never seen it since. There was a fox and a hawk, actually a hawk, not a fox, living underneath my neighbor lady's house over here, tormenting us. 
We called and called and called. The DNR wouldn't come. They sent us to some old lady in Bloomington. Bloomington? Bloomington's where people that are liberals go to die. Writing for the Hoosiers. I remember when we fought the good fight of conservatism. When I was teaching school back in the 70s, man. That's Bloomington. That lady in Bloomington, well, we don't know. Shut up. Next thing you know, we finally got the DNR out here and they took it away. One went away, one hit a wall. I don't know, but I know this. We don't walk around anymore going like this, walking backwards. I studied hawks. They come at you from behind. They're like those punks on a subway or those punks in Chicago. I got to tell you. Don't at me, people. Derek Wolf, a hero. That was a long rant. Condolences to my friend. I just got a note. My friend Kevin Paskey lost his wife today. Re refought a battle with dementia, ALS, a bunch of different stuff. My thoughts and prayers are with my friend. I got goosebumps. My friend, my good friend Kevin Paskey. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Um, I can't believe what's what's happening to me. I can't believe that going on a legal hunt, doing something legal by the book. They've they've had 200 calls to Colorado Parks and Wildlife trying to turn me in like I did something wrong. Yeah, um, did nothing wrong. Everything's legal. So well, what, one of the, the, the main the reason I, I, that I, I I know you have been, and the main reason I wanted to have you on tonight was just to remind people who live in rural America, or in urban America, that like it's different when you live in a place where mountain lions kill people and pets. It's not like Brooklyn at all. And so maybe people should understand that before they run around making threats against men like you. Derek Wolf, I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, brother. Of course. Uh, I just tweeted out, people whining about Derek Wolf killing a mountain lion, saving his neighborhood can kiss my backside. Uh, Derek, nice enough to join us now. Hey, man, <laughs> I'm reading about this, but I want to hear in your own words. Walk me through. Uh how did this whole thing start where it ended up with you uh, and this mountain lion? Uh, so good. For, sorry, my daughter's out there sneaking around. Um, anyways, uh, so my buddy, uh, Alex Nestor, he's, this is what he does. He's a, he's a hunting guide for uh, deer and elk usually um, and sheep and stuff like that. But for fun, you know, like his hobby is to uh, take his hounds out and help uh, with the conservation efforts with these mountain lions. Um, and the goal behind that is to, um, harvest big, mature Tom mountain lion. And that is because these big, mature Toms will kill indiscriminately. They'll kill kittens. When I'm talking about kittens, I'm talking about mountain lion kittens. So they will kill the kittens to get the females to go back in the heat, which then hurts the population of mountain lion. So you want to conserve it and have a rising population, which is, um, what's going on here in Colorado, at least, and I think in North America as a whole, mountain lions are the only big cat in the world that are on the rise in population. And that is because of the conservation model that the North American model has uh, created. Uh, we have the gold standard here. So anyways, he, you know, this is what he does for fun. He loves to hunt deer and elk, and he feels like this is him doing his part to help conserve that that herd. You know, um, a, a full-grown male mountain lion will eat one elk a, year, a day, or a week, I mean, sorry, uh, one elk a week. So if you think we have 44 to 4,500 4, to 6,000 full-grown male toms running around Colorado, 
Um, and if one of them is eating, a, if they're eating a, an elk a week or a deer a week, think about what that's doing to the deer and elk population, let alone what it does to, um, they wreak havoc on neighborhoods. There's a story up in the uh, Boulder area, uh, not a story, this is true, where a mountain lion was relocated. They, so they darted this mountain lion, uh, tranquilized it, relocated it, and it ate 15 people's pets. So now your pet, now your dogs aren't Dang. safe because because somebody didn't want this, and that's the problem. You can't relocate them; it doesn't work, right? So you know, I just wanted to get some of the facts out before I get into the stories of the hunt um, about why um, it actually does more damage. Because uh, it was pretty humane what I did, how I uh, harvested this cat, as far as uh, making an ethical shot, um, making sure that it's a big mature tom. That's why you use the hounds so you can get them treated and you can make. Um, make a, a, a decision on what kind of uh, mountain lion you want to take. It's got to be a big mature Tom. That's what you want. That's what's best for their population. Um, so what I did was um, we had a fresh snow coming in and Alex called me. He said, Hey, I'm going to be giving you a call tonight. He said, I know that I know of an area where there's some big Toms running around and um, we got to do, we got to do something about these, you know, these Toms. We got to try to get one of them. And I was like, all right, well, let's go. Um, if you go and you don't, you're not able to cut the tracks of these toms and you, they go on private land and stuff. So it doesn't work. But, um, you know, we were just, we drive it up the road and here's the tracks there. There's the tracks coming across the road. So we, uh, we get out and look at the tracks and up underneath this tree to the left on the side of the road, there's a full grown four by four mule deer freshly killed on the side of the road, just laying there. You could tell his mountain lion just had it buried up under the tree. It was still warm. It was steaming. Um, and then we followed those tracks and it went up into this guy up, went up into the, um, into this guy's front yard and up under his porch. And we were like, Whoa, um, that's not good. And you look under there and there's a, <laughs> it's like a bed. You can see that it's like been sleeping under there. So it's been living under this guy's porch. And then, uh, then you see the tracks come out of there and go up onto his front porch. And then you can't, obviously there's no snow up there cause it's covered, but you could see that he had walked up onto the porch, um, and must've been up there looking into the windows to see what kind of cats and dogs he had in the, in the house. Um, so we, uh, obviously it's private land. So we knocked on the door, couldn't get no answer. Um, could we did, we were like, well, what do we do now? You know? So we used, um, different apps on the phone to give property lines and stuff. Um, there's an app called Go Hunt that does it for you. Another app called Onyx that does it for you. Um, and you can get the name of this, of the landowner, get them on the phone. So we called, started calling the neighbors in the area. And then they start telling us stories. We get a hold of this one woman. She's like, yeah, this there's a big cat running around here somewhere. He, uh, he killed a dog. He killed one of my dogs last year. He attacked one of my dogs this year. He's uh, If you find him, get him, please. Get him out of here. I'm afraid to come out at night. I was like, whoa, all right. So we figured out where her property was. She said, you can walk up there. So we walked up there to see if we could kind of bypass this other guy's property. Cause like I said, we want to do it all legal. We don't want to go on somebody's property without them wanting us there. So we tried to go up around. We saw that cat, that same lion had tracks going across her yard up onto her porch. So this, that means that mountain lion is looking around for, for pets, looking for easy kills. Um, and that is not, that's not a good sign. It's, that means he's like, he's got, it's too easy for him over there. He's got easy kills and it's only a matter of time before he, uh, maybe attacks a human or, or something like that. And since 1990, there's been every other year, a, an attack on a human in Colorado by a mountain lion. So it's not like it's this uncommon thing that doesn't happen. It's more than every other year, but it's, you know, for the most part, every other year, there's a, somebody getting attacked by a mountain lion. 
So finally, we're, we drive back down the road and we're like, man, I don't know, two hours go by of us calling and talking to neighbors and then telling us stories like over the past couple of years of there being problems over there. There's too many cats. There's too many lions. So that means somebody has to go. We got to do something about it. So I'm like, all right, cool. And next thing you know, the guy where the port, the cat was living under the porch, he comes out and he's like, you guys see these cat tracks? He was all fired up about it. You see how big this cat is? And he was like, he was on my porch. He starts freaking out. And we were, he was like, you guys hunt lions? And we were like, yeah. And he was like, can you get him? And I was like, yeah, we'll get him. Uh, and so we sent it. So he's like, all right, come on up, man. Do what you got to do. You know, it's because this is like a 150 acre dude ranch that he lives on. But it's like all cliffs, like straight up and down. It goes straight up and then straight back down the other side. And uh, that's where those that's where those tracks were going. So we sent the dogs. And where did the dogs go as soon as we let them out of the truck? Straight under the porch, straight onto the top of the porch. That means that's where he was most recently at. And that's where his scent is the strongest. And then they followed it and they went up over the hill and off we went. I grabbed my bow, grabbed my pack, and we took off. And uh, we climbed straight up vertically. And it was two feet of snow, two, three feet of snow the rocky cliffs slipping and falling the whole way up. Um, and then we get up there and then the dogs like took down, took off down the hill and we were like, Oh no. So we went right back down the other side of the hill, walked up the port or walked up the, uh, the Creek bed, walked all the way up like a mile. And then by this time he's way ahead of me with the dogs. Like I couldn't keep up with him. He was like, he's like a sheep out there just getting these mountains. So I'm crawling through the snow pretty much and uh, over downfall and, uh, blow down and rocky little out outcroppings and stuff. And then he goes, he, he calls me and he goes, Hey, um, when you see my tracks going up the hill and then it turns around, just keep going up. I said, okay. So I go straight back up and you got to remember this is like 1500 to 2000 foot vertical feet, um, straight up and down. So I go, like, oh, no, I got to go straight back up this thing again. And at this point I am wrecked. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm huffing, I'm <laughs> gassed. Like I'm I'm starting to, my legs are starting to lock up on me because I got a lack of oxygen up there. Right. And I've got a pack on that's, you know, about 40 pounds worth of stuff in there. And, um, uh, I got, uh, all these clothes on cause it's cold. Um, so I'm sweating real bad, but you can't take it off at this point. Cause then it's going to dry on you and you're going to freeze and uh, possibly get frostbite. So I'm like, all right. So I, so I got my bow in one hand and I'm just crawling up the hill, like on my hands and knees crawling the whole way up. And it takes me, um, almost an hour to get all the way back up. And then I just, he, then he called me again when I got up there. He's like, where are you at? How are you not here yet? And I was like, what do you mean? How am I not here yet? I was like, listen, if you keep calling me, it's not going to make me get there any faster. I was like, I'm trying, man. And he's like, hurry up. Do you hear the dogs? I said, I hear them through the phone, but I can't hear them. I can't hear anything out here. Like all I hear is me breathing and panting. That's it. That's all I can hear. So, so he goes, all right, I'm going to drop you a pin. So he drops me the pin. He said, come straight to the pin. And I was like, you don't want me to follow your tracks? He goes, no, come straight to the pin. I said, okay. So I take like a beeline straight to this pin and I was like, that's kind of weird. It's kind of close to the road. Um, and I go all the way down, back down the hill. I'm talking rolling down it and sliding down it, ripping my pants up. Uh, my jacket was all ripped up. And then I, I finally get to the bottom and he goes, and I hear the dogs in there above me. And I'm like, no way, no way did I just come all the way down here. And he's, and this, this lion is like another thousand yards back up the hill. And I get, oh. I had to walk six, so I walked 600 yards up the road and he's like, Hey, I'm sh come up straight through this cut. And it's like, imagine like cliffs here. And then it cuts down like that. So he's up, that cat is up here. And I said, all right, I'm coming. It's going to take a minute though, man. Cause I'm cramping bad. I can't even walk. I said, I got to crawl up there. And I did. I crawled all the way up there. 
and it was, I mean, it was some of the nastiest stuff I've ever been on as far as terrain. And I get up there and at one point I, I see him filing. He's laughing at me. He takes his phone out to start videotaping me. Cause it's just, he thinks it's hilarious. Cause he's like, Oh, look at you're a professional athlete. Look at you out here. You're, right. you're slopping around the mountain, you know? And I'm laying on the, I'm laying on the ground and I look up and there's the lion right above me. He's right above me in that tree, like 30, 40 feet up above oh. me. And it's just staring at me. And I was like, okay, I got to get up and I got to do something here. He said, get out from under that tree. He's going to fall on you. I was like, oh no. All right. So I, I like, you'll, I have a video. You'll see it'll be out. I think I put it on there of me standing up and you can see the look on my face. I'm just, I'm wrecked. My face is pale white. Everything's my hands are beat red because they're frozen. Um, got the bow in one hand and I finally get up to where like I can get a good shot at him. And I drew my bow back and like I train, I train in these situations where I put myself through like crazy, uh, I'll do crazy like amount of squats, like high intensity workouts, box jumps and stuff like that with my pack on. And then at the last, you know, right when my heart rate's at like 165, 170, I'll take shots with my bow. I'll do that in my basement and try to like get perfect shots, you know, at a high heart rate. So I had trained for this, this, this situation. So I was able to like blow my breathing, take a good ethical shot. And, um, that line was, was, he was pretty much dead where, where he landed after I, I shot him. He didn't go, he didn't run away. He didn't, it, there was no track job. He was, he was down. Um, and then I just laid down. <laughs> I just fell straight to my back on my back like this. And he was like, great shot. You made a great shot. He takes off running down the hill and goes down there. And he's like, he's a giant. He just starts talking about how big this, this lion is. He's like, he's huge. You won't believe how big he is. He's like, he's one of the biggest cats I've ever seen. And he's been doing this for a decade, you know? Um, so, so I finally like, you know, I drank some water, you know, chug some water and like, um, tried to get some sugar in me. And then I like crawled backwards down to where he was, which was only like, you know, 20 yards down there, but 20 yards through this stuff is not, it's not easy. You're just slipping and sliding the whole way. So you're just sliding down a mountain. I get down there finally. And I just was like, I can't believe it. I cannot believe how, like I've seen mountain lions out in the wild before and, um, you know, seen them on people's porches and pictures of them and this and that, but I never seen something that, that, you know, when I, when I've been hunting, the only thing that's ever really made me nervous out there was like, was a moose, right? Cause moose are, they don't really have a natural predator and they are aggressive and they'll attack you. But, um, if you kind of, if you threaten their territory, but this thing, this thing was like, man, imagine if this thing just decided it wanted to take you, it was eight and a half foot long and it weighed, we didn't weigh it up there. Obviously I'm not carrying a scale with me and my bat, you know, that can, they make small scales, but they're like, it only like it only goes up to like 120 pounds this little small scale so that wasn't going to do it so um you know not i don't want to get into like the nasty details but this is a part of hunting you have to heart to harvest the meat you got to get those guts out of there you know so we gutted the animal um we gutted the cat and took it down and i put it in my pack sideways so it was laying out both sides of my pack and uh that's when the the misery started the real misery Cause getting him down that thousand, yeah. that like thousand to 1500 yards down the mountain crawled on my hands and knees backwards down there. And at one point I had like a little there, I went the wrong way. Like I didn't come the same way I, I came up. I just was trying to like take an easiest path. Well, next thing I know I got like a 10 foot drop off. I got to get through and get around. So I I'm like, all right, I'm going to get up and walk. And I get up and I try to walk across this rock. And as soon as my feet hit that rock, I feet, they come out from under me and I land straight on my back crossed my arms like this and slid off of that thing 
and landed landed in like a tree and fell through the tree and then landed on the ground and somehow I was fine. I was like, I just you know checked myself. I was like, all right, I'm good to go. I was like, oh, but the but the lion had been it like shifted my pack out and like some of the straps had like um, come undone. So I had to like take on this like vertical. I mean, it's vertical. Like I had to post and dig in my feet, turn around, take the pack off, lay it down, repack the cat, uh, repack my bow on top of there, and then put it back on and then stand up and turn around and crawl back and just keep crawling. And finally I got down there and got to the truck and I boom, popped that thing up on the tailgate. And I just was like, like, I didn't, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, I don't do it. We might have to like, I need an IV or something. I'm done. I am wrecked right now. I, I got, there's nothing. I got nothing for you. Get your tag out, get your tag out. Call CPW. We got to get the game warden over here. And I'm like, I'm just laying there on the side of the road. Like I just laying on the road. Uh, cause we, where we ended up parking was like just down the road from where we went in. And I, and it's funny cause if we would have just let those dogs go and not followed them, we could have just like waited for it and then walked up right where we were and to the, to the lion. But that's not how it goes. You got to follow the dogs. You got to stay with them. Cause if they get that, if they get that lion cornered somewhere, it'll kill the dogs. So you have to like try to keep up with the dogs. And I don't know how he did it. He did it though. He kept up with them dogs the whole time. I was, I mean, I was trying to go as fast as I could and I couldn't, but um, like I said, man, we took that picture to show how big that cat really was. Like these things are out here lurking real close to main roads, real close to people's houses. And I just, you know, I, I didn't expect, I expected that some people would be upset, you know, about it. Cause that's just the way it goes. You can't please everybody, but the amount of hate and, death threats, you know, um, threatening my children, you know, saying that they hope pedophiles come after my kids and this and that, like, what is like, what, what kind of sicko are you? Like, it's just, that's the problem, man. Where Nobody did, wants to make a lot. Start? Derek, Derek, when it started did that right start? away. Did that start? At, well, like after you it showed started, the picture, it started, it started whenever a, um, an animal, um, activist organization, I'm not going to say the name. they, basically enticed people to uh, attack me on Instagram and Twitter um, added me. And then they were um, kind of throwing false statements out. Like he had no right to do this. This is murder. There's always another way, a better way. This isn't conservation, which is all false. It's because they don't want to, none of these, these, these folks don't want to think logical. They're making their decisions emotionally. They're just, they don't want to think logical. It's an emotional decision that they're making. You can't change their mind. It doesn't matter. And, but that doesn't just, I, it's not like I'm out there with a machine gun, just like laying all the cats down. Right. Like I'm making a, this is a, a conservation effort to help manage the herd of cats. It is important for all wildlife to be managed. But all right, I get that. And you know way more about that than someone like me does. But I also know I live in a, in a forest. I live in woods. And there's some stuff like, hey, man, like I, my, my brother-in-law is like you. He will hunt. He will blah, blah. He slept outside one night. He goes, I don't know what the hell is going on in your backyard, but it's crazy back there. You know? <laughs> and But w- <laughs> when, when an animal like that is around people and you can't go outside, you can't let your little kids outside, you can't let, you know, your animals, your pets outside, that becomes dangerous. And I think... That becomes open game, particularly when you do it like you did it, which is the most humane way to do it. People are full of crap is what they are. 
Yeah, man, they're soft. They're just soft. There's an, you know, there's an attack on masculinity going, and that's just, you know, no anything doubt. you do that looks, anything you do that looks masculine, they're going to attack it, and then they're going to try to say that you have, you're, you're trying to compensate for something, like you're inadequate or something. This, no, that's not. There's nothing to do with this. Like, I love doing this. It's a lifestyle, and if you love to hunt deer and elk and you love to um, be in the outdoors and you like to, you like to see mountain lions around, you have to manage those populations. You have to, it's the conservation efforts that we do here in North America are the gold standard. And that is why our wildlife populations are thriving. When you now fast forward, you, you get the, and you're processing it, right? I mean, you're, you've said, I'm going to eat, we're going to eat this animal. This oh, isn't yeah. just, we're going to leave a carcass somewhere. No, you have that. It's the law. It is the law that you have to process that meat for human consumption. So, like I said, we call you when you you have to call CPW right away. They get a game warden out there to check the check the lion. They take a they take a tooth. They take some uh, some of the meat and um, some hair. I think they take hair. I know they take meat in the teeth. The teeth is to age it, um, and then they you have to keep on you have to keep the um, the testicles on that lion so they can uh make sure it's a male because it's you don't want you don't want to take the females like that is not good for the population of cats so you want to take the males and so you have to keep the testicles on the on the hide and when uh cpw weighed it so they when they weighed it it was just the meat so just the just the meat the bones and the hide plus the skull it was 173 pounds so with all the that's no guts no blood no food in it no water that's probably another 50 pounds. So we're talking about a 200 to 220 pound cat that is roaming around people's yards, eight and a half feet long. It is. I'm just saying, man, I don't really want something like that running around my yard. And also no. the CPW, the CPW isn't allowed and for, for the listener. CPW is the Colorado parks and wildlife. Um, so these, these, these guys, I, you know, I had a long conversation with them. They said, listen, we're only responsible whenever they attack livestock because we have to pay them for the livestock that, that get killed. So that's the only ones we're liable for. Yeah. There is no protection for the pets. There is no protection for pets. And it's been, I mean, time and time again, where they, where they, tra where they tranquilize the, the lion, move it, it either gets starved out or it starts killing easy prey again. And then they have to kill it. And then they have to do, then they do have to kill it. Hey, Derek, has, has all the clowns coming at you, has that died down? Cause usually people act like idiots for a minute and then they move on to the next thing. You know, what, what, what's the latest on it? No, it hasn't died down. It's just nonstop. It's nonstop. I, every other mess, but that's the other thing for every one, one of those, there's three positive um, supportive messages, so, but it's just some of the, like what kind of clown world are they living in where they think that like, that's the equal, that's equal to them. Is that a pedophile attacks my child? That's what like, that makes me want to lose my mind. I will rip someone's, I'll kill somebody. I will rip their throat out. Come near me and my family and you'll, you'll see, you'll see what happens. It'd be a big mistake. I would think it, I, brother, I would think it would be based on just <laughs> one story. I'm sure you got many more. Hey, man, you are, to me, an absolute hero, and I really appreciate you taking some time and telling this story, man, because I saw online people are doing what people do, and my first thought was, hey, 
you. I can't swear on this show or else we can't monetize it. But hey, you, you know what I mean? Go to get out of here. I'm so glad you came on, Derek. Thanks, man. Congrats. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, hey, you know, um, if you guys want to follow along with my my adventures, um, I have a YouTube show that's that we're starting. We're launching season one in August. It's called Wolf Untamed. Um, so check it out on YouTube. I want to um, see it. Follow me. Yeah, follow me on Instagram. Uh, we're gonna have. We're do. I mean, I put my. I love the physical challenge of it. The, for me, the hunt is not about the the kill. It is about the journey, and it's about the hard work that it takes to get there, and the hard work that happens afterwards when you harvest do harvest an animal. Um, you know, I love to hunt elk, and packing an elk out is is tough. It is hard work. So, um, yeah, follow along, guys. I hope I hope it's I hope it, it gives you what you want. And I'm I'm starting a podcast as well. Uh, you know, my first episode should be pretty interesting. I think we're gonna have uh, some really we have some rock stars on there. It's going to be pretty good. At Derek underscore Wolf 95. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, brother. All right. That's Derek. Well, I'm telling you, you want to be able to go home and not have a freaking mountain lion eat you, and this guy saved a, a, a freaking neighborhood or town, and people are on his ass. People are nuts. I want you to look at me right in the eye. You all are nuts. Y'all are freaking saying that dude is a hero. Hero. Don't at me awards. And I got something to say more to Indiana basketball. You guys are playing. I just got two texts from, uh, from former players. Just can't believe the stupidity that Indiana University put out there last night in this guy, Yazir Rosemont. It's unbelievable to me. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. What do you got? What do you got? You got a picture of lovely Lee Ross, and I see I have a rule when I go to weddings. I will dance. I will dance at weddings, but I will not dance on the dance floor, and my wife, who is laughing hysterically, is trying to pull me out on the dance floor, and I told her, no, This is the line of the dance floor. I'll shake it, baby. You know I will. See the overbite? I keep it in tight, though. Anyway, I will dance. I will dance, but not on the dance floor. I just won't. So there was a space at this wedding, and you know, I was getting it done, baby. You know I was. Yeah. And she's like, come out here. I go, no. Here's the lesson in that, and Jennifer, I think you will agree with this. Uh, Men, men, do yourself a favor, all right? Do yourself a favor. Make your wife laugh like I make Lee laugh. I know I outkicked my coverage. I know she looks like Jennifer Aniston, and I look like Bull from uh, Night Court. Why do you think she's with me? I make her laugh. Who wouldn't laugh at that? But that's my rule. Uh, Indiana basketball, I'm not done with you. I just got a couple emails and texts from former players that absolutely love uh, what I put. Imagine. So last night, Indiana puts this Yasir Rosemont on, who had been a bag man, had been investigated. He beat it, lawyered up, all that kind of crap from 19 or whatever, from the Southern District of New York. Okay. Now here's my problem. I think of Indiana, how I think of Duke, certainly Purdue, North Carolina, Michigan state. 
I think of Indiana as one of the elite programs with integrity. Don't at me about Michigan State. Izzo's the only guy in the whole Brian Bowen scandal that actually told the dad, I'm not dealing with you, while Patino got fired from it. Don't even at me with that crap. So Indiana has a guy that was accused of all kinds of things. He lawyers up, he beats it, he can't get a job. But some dude named World Wide West and a clown coach named Kenny Perry convinced Woodson to hire this guy. This guy can't get a job nowhere. I'm not even going to get into the background stuff uh, personal on this idiot. But long story short, they parade this guy around as our head coach at Indiana. I want to tell you, would never happen at Duke. Would never happen at North Carolina. Would never happen at Michigan State. Would never happen, I hate to say it, at Purdue. Would never happen happened. Wisconsin had a dirtbag assistant named Alondo Tucker. He was the leading scorer in the history of the school. He was trying to circumvent Greg Gard. They got rid of Tucker. At Indiana, we celebrate. And then the idiot embarrasses the entire school after. Now, idiot Indiana fans that don't understand what I'm talking about here, that don't understand, hey, look, this is the level of Indiana. Indiana shouldn't be Memphis, Tulane. Indiana shouldn't be USC in basketball. Indiana shouldn't be any of those. It should be on the level of Duke, North Carolina, hell in its own league. Purdue, can you imagine Purdue running some cheat out there? Frank Kendrick cheated a long time ago. You know what Purdue did? You know what Purdue did? Purdue made him an employee of the student union. What does Indiana do? They put this guy out front and center, Yazir Rosemond, as a freaking coach. Now, I get it. I'll be called all kinds of names, old, stupid, racist. Call me anything. But the one thing I love is Indiana basketball. It's in my heart. It's in my soul. I'm going to be at the game on Saturday. I'm going to be sitting behind Ohio State's bench because I think Indiana University treats its former players like crap other than the buddies of Woods. I saw the player of the year, Brian Evans, sitting, you know, like in the front row in the corner. There's a player of the year in the league. I see all these little clowns behind. No, no, no. So don't at me about it. Can you imagine Duke, North Carolina, Purdue, Michigan State putting out a guy as the head coach who had to go in front, lawyer his way out of the Southern District of New York's probe into college basketball? That's Calvin Sampson's stuff. That's literally Calvin Sampson's stuff. I worked for Sampson. I went back there to see how cheaters operate. And I got to tell you, anything you see on the surface, that ain't even one quarter of it. That's like a duck. Yeah, here's the surface, but all the crap is really interesting underneath. I know this with Sampson. I know when DJ White walked into the office is the only meetings I wasn't involved in. This guy who's currently at Kent State, Rob Senderoff, and Samson would go close the door. Only meetings I wasn't invited to. Allegedly, don't know if this is true. I heard he was getting paid after the fact. Indiana fans are all on me. Well, you went three and four. You're damn right I did because I made guys go to class. I got them to stop smoking weed. I suspended guys, kicked guys off the team, and I don't want to hear from Freaking idiots. But anyway, character does not matter. Character does not matter at Indiana anymore. Go be Memphis, Indiana. Ain't no different than Memphis. Hey, Memphis, you got out of the James Wiseman deal. Yay. Golly. Yay, Rob. Go fight win. 
hot garbage. Hot, steaming pile of garbage. There you go. Hey, Dan Dockage, if you just decided to never talk about IU again or IU fans would throw the party of a century, yeah, I don't care. Good. That shows that you're idiots. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen when I go to Assembly Hall on Saturday. It's going to be a mob scene. It always is. The love of real Indiana fans, not message board Indiana fan. The love of real Indiana fan. The guy that understands. All I care about is former players texting me going, how about this crap? How about this idiot leading us? Maybe I'm wrong. They won last night. Yay. Memphis wins a lot too. Cincinnati wins a lot too. Yay, Rock. Go fight, win. And USC wins a lot too. But you know what? I went to Indiana because it was different. It ain't different no more. It's typical. Totally, completely typical. And if you want to come at me, please, God, do. Doc, if you never talk about Indiana, its fans would throw the party of the century. Well, then why do you care so much? Imagine Purdue. Imagine Purdue, Michigan State, Duke, whipping this idiot out there. UNC putting this guy out in front of their fan base. I'm texting a couple players back. It's unbelievable. All right. Hey, look, we would throw the party of a century. Yay. Yeah, Dan. Man, see, this is why Twitter stinks for me. Because in my world, until Twitter, I never dealt with dipsticks. I never, ever, ever. The people that I dealt with were men, real men, and women. Real women. Twitter opened up a whole new world. Like, Indie Daddy 90. Okay. All right. Who's your daddy? Yay. Little blogger boys. Drive you nuts. Ah, Bare Naked Award. I love this. Those of you that follow our show and have followed our show know that we love, don't like, love A&W Zero Sugar Root Beer. I have two mugs that I rotate. I put them both in my freezer. They literally don't get washed until Lee finally says, I've had enough. Wash these things. There's a science project growing on them. But A&W, thinking they might lose ground in the race to be the most woke, did this. Rudy the Great Root Beer will start wearing pants for the first time to be less polarizing. Let's talk. Rudy the Root Beer has been our beloved spokes bear. We knew people would notice because he's literally a six-foot bear wearing an orange sweater, but now we get it. Even a mascot's lack of pants can be polarizing. We've decided that Rudy will wear jeans going forward. Not to worry, he will remain our spokes, but after all, he is unbearably cute, impossibly impossible to replace. We are confident Rudy will continue to champion good food, good times for years to come now in denim. Who really cares? Did somebody really complain about it? Did somebody really complain and say, you know, that root beer guy, yeah, I don't like him without pants. The crap we worry about 
We got men acting like women going into women's restroom. We don't care about that. We defend that. We got a whole nation wanting to kill babies when there's 15 different ways of contraception. I mean, honest to God, young ladies, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do it, then uh, guys, put something on. Well, you know, we we reproductive women's body. Yeah, it's your body. Protect your body. <laughs> Get a con- Hey, if you're going to be slinging it, get a con. We, we, don't even, we, we worry about the most ridiculous things because the most ridiculous people get to the forefront of thought. It's like you got to cater to idiots. Stop catering to idiots. I ain't catering to idiots. All right, let's see. Do we have, uh, all right, listen to this. Record wait times for Splash Martin Mountain on the race's final day of operation. Many people waited for three and a half hours. The ride is being shut down so that the concept is inclusive, one that all of our guests can connect with and be inspired by, and it speaks to the diversity of the millions of people who visit it. All right, here's the line video. These are people waiting to get into Splash Mountain. This is racist, Splash Mountain. See that mountain there? Racist. It is racist at Splash Mountain. Uh, I think we have a video. Look at these people. Man. Well, you see all those white people. You know it's racist because it's all those white people. Shut up. All right. Do we have the closing of the doors of Splash Mountain? I think we do. There it is. There it is. Thank God racism is cured. Thank God. See that right there? We just found the root cause of racism and we closed the door. God, don't you feel better? It's like the, the, you know, underneath the goalpost and racism. Every time I see that, oh my God, I know we're in good hands because the NFL says end racism on the back of a helmet. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, the doors to racism being closed because a ride at an amusement park was racist. People are out of their minds. People are out of their collective minds. But hey, it is what it is. It is absolutely what it is. And a lot of people, look at all them white people. You know it's racist by all them damn white people. All right. (laughs) Man, look at the top of my head. What did I do there? Holy cow. I hit a pipe at Moondrop's Distillery. I was walking upstairs and I was getting ready to talk to the owners at Moondrop's and they had a pipe at the top and I smacked it and then I shaved. Look at that thing. Man. All right, let's move it along. Uh, The Books Are Cooking Award. I talked about this earlier. Hey, man, ain't my fault. They just threw a dollar, dollar, dollar at Brian Kelly. They just saying, hey, baby. Hey, baby, how you doing? You want some more candy? That's like my man Greg Doyle. He put in an article. Listen to this. He put, there's a point guard at Purdue named Braden Smith, right? Now, he was playing at Westfield High School. Doyle puts in a column. This, this voice made. I walked up to him as he was walking off the court and said, you're going to be Mr. Basketball. So I sent this to a bunch of my buddies. I go, could you imagine if some guy that looks like Doyle got on the court and said, hey, 
you're going to be Mr. Basketball. As I was in my shorts, <laughs> walking off the court. <laughs> hey, hey, Brian, we're going to give you some dollars. Hey, Brian. <laughs> you're going to be Mr. Bat. Hey, 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 Braden. You're going to be Mr. Basketball. <laughs> hey, Brian, we're going to give you more dollars. I don't know. Those of you guys that know me uh, know that I get, stuck on a, I get stuck on a voice and I can't stop. The Greg Doyle, you're going to be Mr. Basketball, Braden. <laughs> There'll be a hit piece coming. <laughs> All right, I don't know if I disagree with this. Millionaire podcaster. Man, that is nasty. Millionaire, I did not notice it. No, you asked me. Hey, Dan, you just noticing this? Right? Yeah, I am. Dollar, dollar bill, Sean Black, make you holla. All right, here we go. Let's listen. If you're a guy in your 20s and you don't have a Lamborghini, you should actually sit down and have like a serious discussion with yourself as to why you don't have a Lambo. Yep. Because it's, I realize now that it's so incredibly easy and there's so much money out there and 200 grand relative to what is out there in circulation and what you can grab, especially now with AI tools that you can leverage like never before, 200 grand is Trump change. You know, that's a guy that needs to get a kick in the nuts. I mean, look at that face. Tell me that's not a face, an arrogant little face that you just want to kick in the nuts. Now, I don't know if he's right or wrong. I have no idea. Hell, he's probably right. Guy like that understands the world, understands artificial intelligence, understands the tech industry. But be that as it may, I'd rather not have a Lamborghini and kick him right in the nuts. Doesn't look at him. I guarantee he's got an unbelievable life. But I guarantee you somehow, some way, I mean, I'm not 20 years old. I've seen some things. I've watched some people. <laughs> I can't stop. You're going to be, hey, Braden, you're going to be Mr. Basketball. <laughs> I can't stop. Anyway, this guy, he doesn't need a punch in the stomach. He needs a kick right to the satchel. And it's going to come. I'm just, I hope not. I don't want to wish anything bad on anybody. Of course not. But it's going to come. There will be something, because we've all seen these clowns. They end up in front of a federal investigation. They end up by bragging about their wealth. Somebody says, let's look at how he got this. And then if they can't get it, then they look in their tax records. But I like the guy. The guy's got moxie. The guy's got sack. The guy's got stones. And I ain't mad about it. So good for him. But I do think he needs a kick in the crotch. You know, I also think we all need a kick in the crotch. I do. Every one of us. I think, you know what, one of the reasons suicide rates are high, I, I believe this, is that we don't learn how to handle failure. We don't. We have mommies and daddies that go, it's okay, Jimmy, buddy, buddy. It's okay, buddy. No, it's not, man. I've been hard on my kids. Hard. I had a paddle. Whap. I don't care what you think of it. My kids are great kids. And I got to tell you, any problems, they come to me. They love me, and I think that's how you should go about the business of raising your children. 
Don't raise him to be D-bags. Maybe this guy's a great guy. I don't know, but I guarantee you him sitting around talking like that, eventually, 5, 10, 20 years, you will read about him, and it will not be good. Um, well, let's take a look. Who is our woke-a-dope today? It's been a great show. I, I'm going to be like this every single day. I need something. Send me stuff. Fewer families are facing forced closure and eviction than before the pandemic. People are starting to breathe just a little bit easier. Let me explain this to you. This dude caused all this crap. And now he's taking credit when the natural cycle of our economy starts coming back. Hey, good for him. I would too. But the whole thing about just breathe a little. Just a little bit of breathing room. How does that fly as compared to make America great again? I understand. You're mega. Okay, whatever. Make America great again as opposed to, you know, just a little breathing room. What? Why is it about just a little breathing room? See, I would rather have the Lamborghini, the Lamborghini guys. The Lamborghini guys way of going about the business of the world is so much better than killer liar Joe telling us about just a little breathing room. Really? That's where we're at. That's the goal. Because first off, you're the one, you're the one that, well, screwed the whole thing up. You continue to screw the whole thing up. Uh, You you are blaming everybody. Every time I'm on his Twitter, Folks, House Republicans, if the Republicans can't, Republican this, Republican that. All right. Okay. I give him credit. I do. I give Joe Biden credit because Joe Biden can sit there and tell the American people anything that he wants to tell the American people. And frankly, the American people can and will, they just believe it. And I go back to a family member of mine telling me how, and she views herself as somewhat of a political person, or at least certainly has political opinions, and uh, you are a bad person if you go against those political opinions. But the truth, she's telling me, well, you know, you know, Pete Buttigieg should be the president. Well, why should Pete Buttigieg be the president? He's really smart. Pete Buttigieg has effed up every single thing that he's done. Now, I go back to Biden. Biden's the guy that said, I'm the no excuses president. His last tweet, if Republicans try to cut Social Security. Tweet before that about Republicans. His Inflation Reduction Act uh, got exposed as a complete fraud. You're going to vote for him, though. You are. You are absolutely going to vote for him and all this crazy, stupid, ridiculous, harmful stuff to the American people, where we're giving money to the Ukraine like it's our job. And you know what? That's your prerogative. All right. Back to this. Back to, hey, look, if you're going to run a franchise, if you're going to run a basketball, football, whatever, college program, how about you do it with a little bit of integrity? 
Now, I don't expect everybody to do it because just win, baby, and I subscribe to it. I'm not going to lie to you. When I was coaching, I would have rather graduated everybody, done everything above board, and lost than win the other way. It's just the way I was. We won more than they had won at Bowling Green, and then injury took over, and we lost, and we are out. And, of course, uh, people don't want to hear why, and I don't care. I would rather have done things at Indiana with integrity, which we did. Now, you can say Bobby Knight grabbed a player, which he did. But I would put on a daily basis the good that Bobby Knight did for both players, former players, and society in general, regardless of what he did caught on one film. Because as we all know, the only perfect people are you. That's it. The only perfect people are you and media members. That's it. The rest of us, we can't make a mistake. But I would say this. I'm incredibly proud to have been at Indiana. I'm incredibly proud to have been at Indiana at a time where playing at Indiana meant something bigger than wins or losses. You know, I always said this. It was funny. Never in my playing or coaching career was I ever disparaged as just an athlete, as somebody that was a dumb job. Never. Now, when you get in the world of Twitter, you get everything. Hell, I had a cop, true story, state trooper in Carver Hawkeye Arena. Ask people, uh, he asked on Facebook if anybody in Carver Hawkeye Arena had a gun and would shoot me in the head. While I was brought, true story, he called me and apologized. I didn't get too worked up over it. So I've seen some things and had some things happen. The one thing I am most proud, though, is that when I was at Indiana and at Bowling Green, you could say we didn't win enough, you could, but we never cheated. Never. Coach Knight, in, to his detriment, brought a couple of older guys trying to help them resurrect careers or at least get to their Social Security that had cheated. With the clear understanding, none of this crap. There is a big difference between that and bringing in a guy, Yashir Rosemont, fresh off of a trial, or at least getting out of a trial, for being a bagman, allegedly. It's all alleged because lawyered up, beat it. But to walk him out there in front of us at Indiana, God bless you. Good for you, Indiana fans. Trace Jackson Davis, best player in the country, got a rebound, laid it in, Indiana won. Road wins are the best things other than when your children are born. I get it. But I got to tell you, I wouldn't have seen Purdue, North Carolina, Michigan State, or Duke run them out there. That's it. I've talked about it three times. I will stop talking about it. I will wait and watch for Indiana to play Purdue. But last night, for the first time since I can remember, maybe ever, I did not root for Indiana. In fact, I didn't watch much of it. But I did watch the end of it. And I sat there ambivalent. Usually I root for my alma mater. Usually I want them to win. Blah, 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 blah. I did not last night because I would rather lose than be represented by guys that aren't honorable. I said the same thing to Calvin Sampson when I worked for him. I said the same thing to the athletic director at Indiana when they wanted me to be the head coach or at least the interim head coach. And I have said the same thing to me, to you, my listeners, forever. Parse this however you want. Rip me however you'd like. I don't care. 
I understand I'm outdated. I understand my words are meaningless. I understand I'm an old man, quote, living in the past. I accept that. What are you going to do? But there are a lot of guys that are exactly like me. And I got to tell you, it's sad to see Indiana becoming no more, no more than what Memphis, Cincinnati, USC got out of an NCAA, got out of the Southern District probe. I mean, it's sad to see that Indiana is no longer the standard bearer for excellence and integrity and is now just another school. Uh, Tomorrow we got a monster. Tomorrow we got an absolute monster. Uh, But you know what I'm doing now? A friend of mine got in a car wreck, terrible car wreck. Terrible, terrible car wreck. His name is Freddie Vianna. He was the official lawyer of my radio show. He's recovering. My buddy Cam and I are going to take him over. And I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but there is something called, hold on here, I had it. It's on 146th Street, Pickleman's Gourmet Cafe. We're taking him over. Pickleman's Gourmet Cafe, Italian clubs, chips, cranberry salad for his wife and daughter. Yeah. And we're just going to hang with our friend, Freddie Viana, who we went to grade school, high school. Best lawyer in Indy. Salute to all of you that joined us on the YouTube chat. Salute to all of you that joined us on Twitter. We need more. Uh, 80% don't have a Lamborghini. I'm going to tell you right now. If I had a spare 200000 laying around, I think I say this, I think. Of luxury items, I think a Lamborghini would be last on my list. But that dude needs a kick in the nuts. Hey, Dylan, maybe we should do a show, two things. One segment called The Blank We Worry About. And the the other thing, does this guy, girl, need a kick in the crotch? I think those two things need to be on our weekly docket. Hey, have a great day. We'll be back at it tomorrow. See you. There you are. Stop it. Come on.